Good morning, church. So I've been tasked with uh, doing Acts chapter 11 and 12. We're going to spend the bulk of the time in Acts chapter 11, but we're also going to delve into 12 uh, for not the entire chapter, but for a little bit. And the emphasis that I want to do there is just talk about the power and the importance of prayer there and, uh, and just interject a little bit of humor, but we'll get there soon enough. So um, let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, we just thank you that right now you are here with us, that you're prepared and are preparing our hearts. We give you our ears. We give you our minds. Open the eyes of our understanding. We don't want to miss one word. We don't want to miss one thing that you want to say, that you want to do in us and through us and in our midst. Because we are what we are by your grace. And we are your workmanship. And so we yield to you right now to hear your words because your words are spirit and they are life. They set free, they transform, they heal, they deliver, they make brand new. You are good. You're faithful. You're true. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're the God of our salvation. We worship you. We exalt you. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and have your way in each one of us. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So, as I was uh, kind of preparing for this, one of, the, one of the things that I did, and you may find this strange, but I was listening to one of my favorite pieces of music. No, it's not country, so relax. We were not going to go there. But I do have other kinds of music that I do enjoy. So you may be wondering, well, what was this piece of music? Well, it was uh, Indiana Jones theme by conductor-composer, John Williams. How many are familiar with uh, John Williams? Okay. How many of you know he's put music together for a, a lot of different movies? Well, he has. Um, Star Wars, just to give you the trilogy and, you know, whatever. He's, he's done a lot of movies. So the thing that really struck me as I'm watching this on, uh, on uh, YouTube is, is I'm watching him conduct. And I'm watching the orchestra, and he's, he's not flailing away, but he's orchestrating. He's telling, this goes back, you guys come in, and he's, he's just having a blast. He's, he's enjoying the, the, the directing and the orchestrating. And, you know, sometimes we get used to words, but when you think about what the word orchestrate means, it means to set things in order in a certain way to accomplish a goal. Now, I can think of no better person that I want to be able to have that happen in me than the master orchestrator, the master conductor, God himself, arranging things in such a way that are for my good. And so as he's conducting and he's doing this and I'm watching the orchestra and they're all in, they're, they're playing their hearts out. And, and, you know, there's a time when there's the... The violins are playing, and then the trumpets, da, 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 and everybody has their own part to play at a significant moment, even down to the little ding triangle. If anybody's ever heard the Indiana Jones theme, there's a little part where the music quiets, and there's just a ding. Even the little triangle just kind of puts the icing on the cake. I'm sorry, 
But I like that music. I like the way how it's orchestrated. I, I think it makes a good illustration of what God is doing with his people in the book of Acts. They're working together. And it's a wonderful thing to hear the music and to see them uh, in sync. And so here in, uh, in the book of Acts, just some, some examples, if you will. You know, in, in the book of Acts, God started to work and he could have done it himself. You know, he, uh, just for example, Philip and the eunuch story. He could have given that uh, eunuch understanding when he's reading Isaiah 53. He doesn't do that. He's reading, he's reading uh, Isaiah 53 and uh, he, he's saying, and who shows up on the scene? Philip. And so he brings Philip in to help along the way to accomplish the purpose of bringing this man into the kingdom. And you know, he asks, do you understand what this is? Why, yes, I do. Uh, we also see, I'm paraphrasing there, okay? Philip gets an instruction from the Lord. Uh, go over to that chariot. What does Philip do? He runs to that chariot. He just doesn't oh, saunter over there. No, he runs at what the Lord tells him to do. Um, Saul, on the road, you know, to persecute, he's knocked off his high horse. He, he gets a vision from the Lord. And, and, uh, and God talks to him. God could have healed him right then and there after he knocked him off and told him what, what was going to happen. But he, he, he tells him, you're going to go into town. And he, he gives him specifics. And he said, there's going to be somebody that's going to come and they're going to lay hands on you. You're going to pray and you're going to receive your sight again. And so what does he do? He taps Ananias on the shoulder and he tells him, you're going to pray, go and pray for Saul. Then there's Peter and Cornelius. Cornelius is praying. And, and uh, at the same time that he's praying and gets a vision, Peter, he's about to eat and, and he gets a vision. And you know, God could have revealed and, and done what he wanted to do on his own with Cornelius, but he, he, he gives him half of a vision, so to speak. He gives him only so much and then he says, now here, go and get Peter who's staying at Simon the Tanner's house and bring him here and he tells him what, what will happen in a matter of speaking. And then, so he does. So here is Cornelius. He's praying and, uh, and then at the same time, Peter, he's praying. He says, hey, Peter, you're going to go to Cornelius' house. So it's just great to watch how God orchestrates. God sets something up. God goes ahead of and then he brings in his people to work with and to follow up on. What a partnership. That's who we are. That's what we're called to do. This is, we were born for such a time as this and now this is our moment to do exactly what our predecessors, the heroes of the faith did before us. And you know what? They're cheering us on. God is cheering us on. He's the God of all encouragement. And he's doing that through allowing us to go into the chapters here and see him working in the, in the lives of his people and, in, and expanding going into new frontiers, the Gentiles. I just want to say a quick word about Steve, Stephen. Steve. He did a wonderful, masterful job last week 
on this whole controversy with the Gentiles coming into the kingdom. And while I'm exhorting and while I'm boasting in the Lord, I just want to, I just feel led to, I just am so grateful for the leadership. And I'm not saying this to break my arm here or to put us on a post, but the people that God has called here to labor in the word, that is not a, a small thing. And when I say labor, I mean labor. I mean there's mental energy that is, uh, ex that's used a lot. And I just feel that encouragement is such a powerful thing. And I am grateful for the words that we get every Sunday and how the Lord feeds us and how we get the flavor of how he works through the particular speaker on that Sunday. Amen. And I pray to God that that's something we never take for granted. And so I say this by the Spirit of God, I just give you guys a round of applause because God is good. It's not us. He uses willing vessels. And it's important to know that when, when whoever, not just the leadership, but when you do something and you're privy to God hitting the target in your heart or doing something significant, that they, that they should know that, wow, you were really listening to the Lord. You were really following the Lord, and it really did something in me. That's important for us. That's, that's one of the ways of how we grow and mature in the Lord. And I can tell you, do you think it was automatic for me to get up here and just to start and give words? No. There were people behind the scenes that I went to humbly and said, hey, I don't want to be off to the right or to the left, but I'm going to share this with you. I want to submit, and if God gives me a word, let me know, Okay. And they said, yeah, we will. That was huge. Okay, now I'm going to put my soapbox away and I'm going to get back to here. But I feel that this was important to say. And I love all of you guys. We're family. And we need to hear that we love one another and express it. So, anyway. In, uh, in Acts chapter 11 here, Fasten your seatbelts because we're going to dive in here. There's a lot of things in play. So in the beginning here, you know, um, we read, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Wow, that's great. That's powerful. So I'm thinking, boy, if I'm Peter and I witnessed this and this is a miraculous thing and it come back and there's going to be uh, some enthusiasm, some excitement, some cheering to, to God. And, and, and what happened? So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Boom. Didn't see that coming. Now as I read this, and as I reread this, the Holy Spirit said to me, stop the tape. And he said, uh, Look at the next line. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. And what the Lord told me was that what you're witnessing and what you're about to see here is a miracle of what I did in Peter. And that is I rewired Peter's thinking. That's not just nice talk. That is how we respond to situations the way that we, we used to. And now there's a better way, a new way to respond to crisis, to conflict. 
So to Peter's credit, what he didn't do was say, hey, I'm the apostle. I went down there. I did this thing. Who are you? He could have, he could have been just as critical as they were, but he wasn't. Just think of the Peter of old, if I could say it that way, and how brash he was to pull out the sword, to sit there and say, God, may it never be that you die. Just think of how all those responses. Now I want you to think about situations maybe in how we respond, maybe in not so Christ-like manners. And I will put my hand up there, but I say it for this purpose. As I'm reading this and thinking about Peter's thinking, being rewired to respond God's way and to allow God to rewire his thinking. And I like when God does this. He brought a worship song to my mind. That worship song, the power of your love. I've come to know the weaknesses I see in me. I could tell you mine by first name, but that's not where I choose to hang out. I recognize my weaknesses, but that's not the real me. The, the weaknesses I've seen in me will be stripped away. Stripped away by what? By the power of his love. That love is a disarming thing that brings us to the place of saying, God, I can't do this on my own. It is you and only you and your grace is sufficient for me. So I want that to be such an encouragement because sometimes we're the, we can be our own worst enemies and we can stop ourselves in our tracks when God has bigger things that he wants to move us forward in and accomplish. So seeing Peter here, um, it, he doesn't stoop to their level. As a matter of fact, in Proverbs 1, it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Peter does not throw gas on the fire here. So who are these guys of the circumcision party? They were, they were believers. They were, they were a hardline group within the Jewish believers, not a group of unbelieving Jews. The phrase literally means those who are of the circumcision. This is the same group that will show up again in Acts 15. In, in what's happening here, this is a volatile, this is, there's a conflict here. This is a volatile situation. And I, if, if it's not handled right, it could cripple a work of the Lord. It could cripple a ministry. It could destroy a ministry. It could set it back if it's not handled right. And I will tell you that I've been involved in enough conflicts where I had to be a part of the solution that when I go into that you could cut the tension in the room with a knife you could sense it 
And, I've, and so I believe that that makes that, that rewiring in Peter's mind all, all the more miraculous. That this is a powerful thing. When we look at the book of Acts and we think of the signs and wonders, that's important too. But let us not overlook the fact that when people's thinking like Peter's is rewired, that is a powerful miracle too. Because in the work of the Lord, there's going to be other situations where, where ways of how they think things should go or not go, they're going to come out. So Peter, it says in 4, began and explained it to them in order. And so as, as was read, he goes through here. And uh, as, as Rich read, you, you heard that. And I, I want to speak to this then, of what he does. And then I want to throw in one other point about hearing the word of the Lord. And so, uh, Peter, it says, began and explained it to them in order. And so, as he goes and he, he receives the vision and... Um, and he's perplexed by this. And then the Spirit tells him, go. Make no distinction. And what does Peter do? He takes six brothers with him. In the scriptures, it talks about the mouth of two or three witnesses establishing something. Peter takes six. I like that. Peter leaves nothing to chance. He takes six guys with him. So in that group of six, Guess what? And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter. What? And the believers from among the circumcised? Well, I think that's telling me he took some of the people that were of that mindset with him to see what was going to unfold. So Peter takes six brothers with him. And they entered the man's house. And then... Uh, And then in this, in this account here, Peter adds a couple of details that are not mentioned previously in Acts chapter 10. One of them is the fact that an angel tells him that Peter's going to speak these words and that you, Cornelius, and your household are going to be saved. So as Peter is recall, recalling this and shares this detail. Then uh, he, he goes on and he says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So he's, he's telling them that there's a continuity here. That this just wasn't, that this just wasn't something that all of a sudden just right now here for this moment this happened previously, and it happened to us on the day of Pentecost. And what we experienced on Pentecost is now happening here to Cornelius and his family. And then uh, Peter says, and I remembered the word of the Lord. Now, you know, in all of this, Peter didn't have the gospel of Mark. Peter didn't have the, the synoptic gospels like we looked at last week, or even the book of Ephesians to reference when he's trying to talk about What's going on with Jesus tearing down that wall between the Jews and the Gentiles? But he is, 
but he is firsthand there uh, on the cutting edge, so to speak, what's been, what's been revealed in the scriptures. And now he said it, it, it's the reality. This is happening. And so I believe the Holy Spirit had a hand here. And he says, and I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's a pretty compelling statement. And it reminds me of Gamaliel when opposition from the Sanhedrin and the Jewish council and you know they're trying to thwart and stop the advancing of the kingdom and Gamaliel says, hey, we've seen what happens when this was just man's work. It'll stop. It'll die. It won't advance. But if this is of God, you're not going to be able to stop this. This is unstoppable and you might as well stop. That's what this, that's what, I, that's what I believe in a similar kind of way what Peter is sharing here. Who was I that I could stand in God's way? And then it finishes by saying, when I heard these things, when, when they heard these things, they fell silent. They had no answer. God disarmed their response at this point in time. When they heard these things. So their attention was turned from what they had known previously and what had been, you know, hey, we, do, we don't associate with them. We don't do this. We don't do that with the Gentiles. And now the focus has been turned solely, completely, entirely on God and the work that he is doing and their responses, they fell silent and they glorified God. That is a big deal to be on one side, to be in opposition. Now, let me be clear. We're not done with these guys yet. But for right now, at this moment, in this volatile conflict, Peter is vindicated. God reveals and says, look, I'm at work here. As I was preaching and the spirit fell, this is my sign of approval. Those are big evidences. And in a court of law, that would turn from and give significant evidence that God is here and working and on the move. Case closed. Ouch. Okay. Now those who were... We're going to have a healing service after. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Speaking the word... Oh, I'm sorry. There's one other thing that I wanted to bring out here before I get ahead of myself. And hearing the word of the Lord. Peter, Peter had this vision. God gave it to him three times. Peter's perplexed. He doesn't know what to do. And then God speaks to him about, um, while he's perplexed, hey, that three men are going to come. You're going to go with them. Make no hesitation. Now, there are times when I get paralysis by analysis, when I overthink. When I get a word from the Lord, I want to scrutinize it. And if I don't understand, I ask the questions. But Peter does not let that get in the way. That's not negating 
that, that vision or whatever, that, that, and what the picture that he got was unimportant. But as we see in this, in this chapter here, in this verse, God gives him further understanding that it's, it's not about the food, but it's about the Gentiles being brought into the kingdom without having to go through the Jewish traditions and laws. So in this vision, if you will, half a picture that the Lord gives Peter, Cornelius has got the other half. And when they get together, Peter gets a full picture. And uh, the other thing is that God didn't leave Peter just perplexed and flailing with this, with this vision. He, he gave him further, further insight and, a, and a, a more clarity to the picture of what, of what he had. And so with that perplexity and when the Spirit said, go with them without hesitation, Peter knew the voice of the Lord. So you had hearing the voice of the Lord and you had being led by the Spirit. He did not let the one stop the other. He put the one on hold and he followed the Lord's leading. And then the Lord gave him further, brought the pieces of the puzzle together, if you will. And so that, I think, is important. Because I will tell you, there are times when I may get a piece of the puzzle and, I, and uh, what about the rest of it? Don't worry about that. Just deliver what I've given you. And it's like, okay, I'll do that. And then the enemy would try to discourage me and say, well, you really look like a fool for just bringing this piece of the puzzle. And then, lo and behold, somebody else would come and they would add to that. And then somebody else would come and then there's a full picture that's given. So I learned that even if it's a piece of the puzzle, it's still a piece that's important. So... Going ahead now in verse 19 there, and there's, people are being scattered because of the persecution. The persecution is a horrible thing. You know, people are killed. People are arrested. That's easy to say. But it's another thing to live in that and to live in that, that environment. But what the enemy meant for evil, God is going to use and he's, he's going to use these people as, as, if you will, as seed. And the kingdom is going to go in uncharted areas. It's going to go into new, new frontiers where there will be more opportunity for people who don't know to know and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And so while there are some on their way, they only choose to speak to the Jews. But it says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of who believed turned to the Lord. So a new frontier, a new mission front is opening up. And this is uh, Antioch and Syria, not Antioch and Pisidia, where Paul is going to be going with Barnabas. But this is going north. And so, uh, 
This report came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And coincidentally, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. No, that's not a coincidence. This Barnabas, his name meaning the son of encouragement. I believe that in, in doing a new work and, and this man, it is, is a hand and glove fit for him to go to this new work that is being started in Antioch. And so what is he going to find when he goes to Antioch? He says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. So it was evident to, to Barnabas that the grace of God was evident, so evident that it made him glad. And so, given his name, son of encouragement, what do we find Barnabas doing? And he exhorted them. Well, imagine that. He exhorted them. So, what, what is he going to encourage them into? What is he going to urge them forward to do? What is he going to build them up to do? To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now, you know as well as I, when the Lord does a new work in our life, when the Lord does a new work, one of the things that is tested and challenged is steadfastness to purpose and faithfulness to the Lord. The enemy would love nothing better than to derail before the work gets traction, before the work gets going. If he can stall it, if he can stop it, he will. Just look at Nehemiah when, when they are tasked with rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. What happened? The enemy tried to overwhelm them and come at them from every side. What does Nehemiah do? He encourages them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And I will tell you that with this, with this encouragement, you're, you're, you're talking about creating a creative environment to move forward in the work of the Lord. In my workplace, I have seen what happens when there, when there is criticalness, when there is discouragement, when there are the things that would try to bring down. It's a toxic environment. It destroys. It doesn't create unity or, or, um, or singleness of mind and purpose. It's, it, it wants to debilitate. But when you have an encourager in your corner, when you have an exhorter, and he is point, and he is sent by, by the church. And as he goes down there, he seeks out Saul. Now I can think of no greater work. You know, the Lord's already been at work in Saul, and he's been doing a number of powerful things. Now what greater encouragement than to bring him in on a new work on the ground floor and let's build this together with God. And they're there, they're committed for a year. They stay there for a year. So just think about what's happening when you've got an anointed encourager that's there for a year, when you've got Paul that's there for a year and they're, they're building up they're equipping, they're nurturing, they're establishing a new church. They're establishing and furthering the advancing of the kingdom. And when there is encouragement in the atmosphere, that is a powerful thing. Because it's not just Barnabas. 
It's the God of all encouragement who equips Barnabas to be that. We saw that when he went to defend Saul before the council in Jerusalem. What would happen if Barnabas wasn't there? Would Saul even be doing what he's doing? And so just, again, encouragement is a, that building up is a miraculous, powerful thing. As a matter of fact, we're encouraged in the scriptures to do that daily. And it says then in verse 26, for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So I can think of no better uh, name or compliment than little Christ. You guys are little Christ. I think that's exactly what's happening here. So I'm going to, I'm just going to say one last thing here, and that's about um, verse 27. There's a famine that's going to be coming, and what does God do? God warns that there's a famine going to be coming, and he sends the prophets down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And the church, because they get wind of this, they prepare, and everyone according to their ability, they send relief to the brothers living in Judea. So now you've got Gentiles that are coming to the aid of Jews. What a turning of the tables. What a powerful statement. You're seeing their faith, they're putting their faith where their mouth is. Okay. So into Acts chapter 12. I'm not going to read... Okay, I, I'll read to verse 18 and then I'll just make some comments on here. And that's this. So here we go. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Man, that must have been some serious felon. I mean, a fisherman and all. I mean, wow. I don't think it was Peter Schwarzenegger. I think it was Peter of Galilee. But anyway, um, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. 
He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When, he had, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them, it opened for them of its own accord. That word accord means automate. Imagine that door opening all by itself. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Really? Really? They said to her, oh my gosh, you're out of your mind. Really? But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it's his angel. I mean, can you imagine being in a prayer meeting and see, witnessing this? But Peter, uh, but Peter can, hey, this is Peter, open up. Okay. And it was Peter standing at the gate, okay. But she but Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had, ha what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now that's where I'm going to stop in Acts chapter 12. So just some things here in um, Acts chapter 12 about Prayer. Prayer is a, there is a pattern and there is an, uh, a message, if you will, that God is by repeating how important prayer is. So in, so in God's instructions to wait for them in Jerusalem, what do we find them doing in Acts 1? They're gathered in one accord and they're praying. Peter and John, when they're arrested, they're intimidated, they're released, they go back to the brothers. What's their first response? They pray. The uh, when there's a when there's an issue that arises over the widows being neglected, they they address the issues of the widows being neglected. And they make the response that we are giving, we are devoted, we have given ourselves to the ministry of the word and praying. They didn't neglect the need, but they made the statement 
of giving ourselves, devoting ourselves to prayer. Peter. He's going to have lunch, but before he has lunch, what does he do? He's going to go up on the top, rooftop and he prays. He gets a vision. Cornelius, a God-fearing man. What does he do? He prays. He gets a visit. We're going to see not many chapters hence. They're praying, Paul, the, the apostles are praying, and the Holy Spirit's going to say, separate unto me, Paul and Barnabas. I'm not going to steal anybody's thunder, but there are enough examples, more than enough examples, of what happens when people pray. Here in this, in this chapter, Peter's arrested. What does the church do? Earnest prayer is made to God for Peter. Earnest. That word means to stretch out all the way till it hurts. All the way. They were serious in their prayer. Earnest prayer. In in this book, Dirty Glory, and uh, a while back we did a, there was a message on the Hebridean revival. And there's two, two elderly sisters. They're crippled. One of them's blind. And what are they doing? They're lost in prayer. What a place to be lost. They're lost in God's presence, but they're praying. And what happens when they pray? They get a vision. They only get it one time. It doesn't happen anymore. But they latch on to that like a tick on a dog. They don't let go. As a matter of fact, they call for spiritual backup and they have the leadership of the church pray and enter into that. And they keep praying and they keep praying. Kind of reminds me of the persistent widow. And what finally happens? Boom, revival breaks out. There's, there's Duncan Campbell who uh, who is uh, he he prays for Donald McVale in the uh, for prayer support and one day Donald Campbell uh, his um, he 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 goes to visit because he wants prayer from Mr. Campbell and Donald tells him firmly He'll have to wait because I have an audience with the king. What a statement. What a statement. So, In the midst of a tense situation here with Peter being arrested, um, this is one of the few places, there's probably other, but there's few places where I see that God interjects a little bit of humor into the situation. So I'm going to do my part here. So Peter, uh, Peter's in prison between two guards. And what is he doing? Is he, is he praying? Is he, uh, is he crying out to God? Um, it says he's sleeping. 
So it reminds me of a movie with that kind of title to it, While You Were Sleeping. Anybody familiar with that movie, While You Were Sleeping? Great movie, by the way. But anyway, while Peter is sleeping, God is not. God is active. God neither slumbers nor sleeps. He watches over our going in and going out. So while Peter is sleeping, God is active. While Peter is sleeping, the church is earnestly praying for a different outcome. Now, who else do we know? Help me out here. There's a boat in the Sea of Galilee. The disciples are in it. It's taking on water. And somebody else is asleep. Who would that be? Hmm. Anybody have a clue? Yeah, it's Jesus. So I, I thought in the midst of all of this that stuff that's going on, Peter has the nerve to go to sleep. I think it's pretty miraculous because I think Peter knew however this was going to play out, he was still in God's hand. So he sleeps. He's sleeping soundly because the, the angel has to come and give him a, a gib slap. Well, I say gib slap. Some of you may know that. But anyway, he has to slap him on the, He has to wake him up. Wake up. Okay. So then later on, um, Peter is, makes his way to the, where they're praying. And so here is this house full of faith and earnest prayer. And Peter knocks out the door. And she leaves, and she leaves Peter at the door. Open the door and invite the man in. And then for added measure, it's not Peter. What? What have you been praying? You've been praying for Peter to be released. It's not Peter. Really? It's his angel. Oh, really? Now we're really getting into it. But Peter continued to knock. I like that. Ask, knock. See, it kind of reminds me. Anyway, a um, little humor there. But it's his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. So in the midst of a, a serious thing that's going on, I think for God just to, to allow us to see these men of great and women of great faith, and what are they, what's their response? We read, these, we read these passages about without faith, it is impossible to please God, and these other passages of faith, and I think here we just see, come on guys, I love you, and I'm faithful even when you're not. So one last thing that I want to leave you with, um, and that's this. So when, the, when Barnabas goes to Antioch and we see God adding to the church great numbers, there's, what is he doing? He's adding to the orchestra. What does that orchestra look like? Well, I'm going to tell you. As God advances the kingdom, as he brings these people in, as he adds the orchestra, because he's going to use these people. 
They're going to have a sphere of influence and they're going to reach out. But here, as God adds to the orchestra, when it comes to the crescendo, when it comes to the final scene, when it comes to the end, this is what it's going to look like. In Revelation 19, starting at verse 6, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out. I want you to picture this, because we're a part of this. Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Can you imagine peals of thunder echoing, resounding, shaking the, the pillars of heaven, if you will? Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. That is the culminating, the climax, the conclusion of all of this. And we're a part of it here and now. Hallelujah and amen. Lord, we just humble ourselves before you under your mighty hand. We thank you that you have called us out from the darkness into your marvelous light to work in conjunction with you, to be participants with you in bringing salvation to every place where our foot treads to the sphere of influence that you've given to us. Father, I just ask that as we've looked today at these things, and I pray that you would uh, give us your ears, give us your eyes, guide us, empower us, lead us, and rewire our thinking to be ever more in tune with you, to act the way that you would act, to speak the words that you would say, to do the things that you would do. We acknowledge our dependence upon you. And we thank you, Lord, that uh, while we know our weaknesses, you are our strength. And by the power of your love, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you strip those things away. And you clothe us. You clothe us with yourself. You clothe us with your power. You clothe us with your righteousness. You clothe us with your grace. And we are thankful for that. Father, we were born for such a time as this. Take us forward. May our words be seasoned with grace and life and light and love. In Jesus' name, amen.